Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I announced last week that we were starting the new year with uh, the last Sunday's uh, topics and then this morning with the topic of the Lord's Supper. And so I want to read a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians that we'll be looking at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the most detailed explanation of the Lord's Supper in one of the doctrinal letters of the New Testament. I'm going to begin reading uh, this morning in verse number 17. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this calls many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come together, that ye come not together under condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. First Corinthians chapter 11 in your Bibles, we have a, had a young man, he was a young teenage man at the time, an older teenager at the time, and he had some great expectations when he heard that we were going to be serving the Lord's Supper uh, in that evening service. 
And uh, so he had, uh, he was a, a, a bit of a, a heathen, I guess you could say. He didn't really know anything about the Lord's Supper, but he had been coming to Community Baptist Church for a while, and he knew that uh, a lot of the things that we do as a church family revolves around food. And uh, so he was used to coming to church and having a snack night or some kind of a fellowship or a meal or something that food was always involved. And as a young teenage man, he loved to eat. And uh, so he heard Sunday morning that we were going to be serving the Lord's Supper that evening. And he I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't for years later when he finally told me the story. He said when he heard me announce that. He got to thinking, now I know what snack night is, and I know how much food they put on for snack night, and I know what church fellowships are and all the good food that they have around this place. He said, I can't imagine what the Lord's Supper's got to be like. He said, I thought it was going to be a smorgasbord that would make a Pennsylvania Dutch smorgasbord look like a little skimpy meal. And he came to church that night ready to see plates of food. A counter's full of food. And he said he got into the service and all we had was a piece of bread and a little tiny cup of juice. And he said he was so disappointed. Uh, later on he got saved. We ended up hiring him and now we've sent him to Uruguay as a missionary. Uh, this, this morning we're going to be looking at what the Bible teaches uh, about the Lord's Supper rather than what uh, what somebody that's out of the loop of Christianity would think the Lord's Supper uh, has got to be. Do you really understand the Lord's Supper? And uh, how much do you understand of the Lord's Supper as a Christian? What does the Bible teach us about this this uh, supper called the Lord's Supper? The uh, The most extensive teaching we have in the New Testament is found in this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, the church that received this letter uh, was really a a messed up church. Uh, They were a church with lots of problems, doctrinal problems, people problems, uh, moral problems. They just were a messed up church. And it impacted the way they understood and practiced the Lord's Supper. And so because of the situation the church was in, that warranted some pretty clear instruction about what the Lord's Supper is all about. As a matter of fact, the church had so many problems, they had sent him, a couple of of the men in the church had sent the Apostle Paul a letter enumerating questions that they had that they wanted Paul, who had planted that church earlier, to be able to explain the answers to those questions. And so, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is going through and answering some of the questions they sent to him. And um, in, earlier in chapter 11, in, uh, in verse number 1 and 2, Paul said, Ye be followers of me, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. He said, I praise you for what you've done well. Uh, You've asked questions. I've answered questions. You have you have followed the instructions I've given you that God had given to me and I relate to you and you followed them. He said, I praise you for how you have obeyed the instructions that you have received in verse number three of that. 
same uh, in chapter 11, the Bible says, but, but, I praise you, but, you know, that's always a danger when there's a but after a compliment. I compliment you, but there's something I need to talk to you about. And so the Apostle Paul praised them for what they had done well and then said, but there's some some things I got to talk to you about. And he began to talk to them. Uh, about some other things. You come down to verse number 17 where we began reading. He said, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. He had stopped praising them because they weren't doing too well in this matter of the Lord's Supper. He said, I praise you for other things, but I'm, I'm not praising you for this. And then we read in verse number 22. Verse number 22, at the end of the verse, he asks the question, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? And he answered, he said, I praise you not. And so the church had some problems about the Lord's Supper. And as a result, the church planter that planted the church, who is now writing to them, says, I'm not praising you for the way you've been observing the Lord's Supper. And so the instruction that he gives is very eye-opening. It gives us clarity as, as, as pertains to some important matters of the Lord's Supper. And so this morning, I want us to take a few moments to consider two ways you can approach the Lord's Supper as a Christian. Two ways as a member of a church family that you can approach the Lord's Supper. And uh, number one, the first way you can approach the Lord's Supper is you can come to the Lord's Supper and pervert its meaning. You can actually come to the Lord's Supper and pervert the meaning. And that's what was happening at the church at Corinth. Uh, the, the underlying meaning of the Lord's Supper was not coming through. And they were observing the Lord's Supper in a heart condition and in a way that actually perverted the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Now, how did they do that? Well, in early Christianity, now churches would meet together, as we still do today, and eat food. And uh, back in early Christianity, they, they called them agape feasts or love feasts. And the church would come together. Everyone would bring some food. It would be kind of a, uh, just everyone bring a potluck, you know, and we'll put it all together. And, and we'll enjoy a, a season of fellowship around a meal together here at church. And then they would end that time of fellowship observing the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper kind of became a, uh, the end of a time of fellowship as a church family where they would enjoy uh, the, uh, their relationship together and they would, and they would uh, fellowship together and then have the Lord's table. Now, that observing the Lord's table in conjunction in, a, in an atmosphere of a church fellowship was extremely important to what the Lord's Supper is all about. If you turn a page back in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to notice verse number 16. He was dealing with a different problem, but he mentioned the Lord's Supper in chapter 10 as well. He said in chapter 10... And in verse number 16, the cup of blessing which we bless. Now, he's talking about the cup that Jesus used in the upper room 
that contained the fruit of the vine that Jesus used when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? And that's where we get the title. We sometimes call the Lord's Supper communion. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And so that cup, that cup represented to that church family a communion with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the word communion means what we have in common, what we commune about, what we have in, uh, in a relationship together with. Well, the, the word translated communion is sometimes translated fellowship. It's two fellows in a ship rowing together. It's multiple people working together at the same thing. It's having something in common. It's working together in fellowship. It's communing together in some endeavor. And the Bible says the cup of blessing which we bless it, is it not what we have in common in fellowship, in communion with the blood of Jesus Christ and the bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so Paul spoke of how when we observe the Lord's table, we're actually doing something that ties us in common with Jesus Christ's blood and his body. Verse number 17 says, for we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Now here, here's an amazing statement. Now remember who this is being written to. This is not one of the general epistles that's written to Christians generally everywhere. You go back to our First Corinthians chapter 1. This was written to a specific group of saved people. That was written to the membership of the church at Corinth, that group of saints that were bound together by church membership covenant, that group of believers, that body, he called them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body of Christ that was there at Corinth, he said to that specific group of Christians that were bound together, he said, this Lord's Supper is, it, we are... Many are one bread. I would say to the membership of Community Baptist Church, if you're a member of Community Baptist Church here this morning, I would say to you, we are many people, but we are one bread. We lose something in the observance of the Lord's Supper today because of everyone worried about passing germs. Which, of course, means nobody has an immune system anymore and everybody gets sick. But I'm old school. I'm 66. I'm, I'm of the generation where we purposely pass germs in order to build immune systems. But anyway, that's another story. I'm old. I'm a dinosaur. I'm old school. So we don't, we don't have one bread that we observe, use to observe the Lord's Supper with. We have individual little broken pieces, so you can get your own little piece. And the person that broke them into little pieces wore gloves. I know, because I saw my mom with gloves on in the kitchen this morning, breaking it all up. And so, um, and so when you pick up that piece of bread, you know that no human hand has touched that piece of bread before you did. Unlike this piece of bread. <laughs> we're many, but we're one bread, the Bible says. And that bread illustrated the fact that 
a church family gathered together, were united together, one with another, with Christ. And united together, we are one bread, we are one body, and that body, that emblem of the body is a picture of the physical body of Jesus Christ, which would be broken the next day at Calvary, of course, from the upper room. We are all partakers of that one bread. The church family at Corinth had in the Lord's Supper an opportunity every time they observed it to fellowship as a tight-knit group of people. No divisions. No one person won't talk to another person. No problems that have people at each other's neck. We are in communion. We're many, but we are one bread. And we are in communion one with another and with Jesus Christ, whose body the bread represents. But what had happened at the church at Corinth is they had really gotten messed up. And there were a lot of reasons for that, and that's outside the scope of this message. But they were a church where there was a lot of division. A lot of squabbles and fights and people upset at one another. And so as he, as he told about the Lord's table in chapter 11, he talked about how when they came together for their potluck, different members wouldn't share their food with other members. This is my supper. Keep your hands off. There were some people that were well-to-do and they could bring in some really nice stuff to eat. There were other people that were scraping just to have enough to feed their kids. And they didn't bring too much. And so this amazing opportunity to picture the church united together in fellowship and in communion one with another. That would lead into the communion we have with Christ who brought us together in communion one with another. That was all destroyed by division and mistreatment one of another. Rich people looking down on poor people. People not sharing. Someone's hungry and there's, and the person at the other table has got so much to eat that they're, but they won't share anything. And Paul's, and this was all a part of their Lord's Supper observance. And Paul said, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Because in their practice, they had perverted the meaning of the Lord's table. And at the core of the Lord's Supper is communion. It's fellowship. It's unity. It's people getting along one with another. It's people loving one another. It's one church member loving the other church members. It's sharing when one person has and another person needs. It's doing life together. It's enjoying life together. It's building life together. It's deepening friendships and relationships. It's getting to know people and spending time with people. It's having meals together and enjoying the fellowship one with another. This is the core of the Lord's table table observance in in the early Christianity. And the Lord's table showed what brought us in communion. 
What creates that fellowship? What causes that union of lives and families together in church membership? It's the, the cost that Jesus Christ paid in order to save each of us as individuals and give us something in common. What does a rich person making a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year have in common with a, a person just barely making 20,000 a year? I'll tell you what they have in common. The blood of Jesus Christ and the broken body of Jesus Christ. That's what they have in common. And that's what draws us in common. That's what makes us all one as a church family. That's what makes it such that there's no uh, important and others not important. And there's this class and that class. And there's this ethnicity and that ethnicity. We're not divided up into groups. We're many. But we're one. Because of what draws us together as people. And that's the broken body and the shed blood of our, Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when people come to the Lord's table... Out of sorts with other members of the church. Well, I just don't agree with so-and-so. Well, I just don't like so-and-so. Well, do you know what so-and-so said about me? When we come together to observe the Lord's Supper and we lack the unity that makes us one church body, we pervert the meaning of the Lord's table. And if we observe the Lord's Supper in that heart condition of disunity, then we pervert what it means. And God would say to us, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Because that's the perversion of the Lord's table. So that's one way people can come to the Lord's Supper. I mean, in, in our text in verses 20 to 22, he gets pretty, uh, he gets pretty sharp with them. And uh, he even says, when you come together, this is not the Lord's Supper. Don't drag him into your mess. Don't say this is the Lord's Supper. You so perverted it, it's lost its meaning. You so perverted it that it doesn't even resemble what the Lord's table is designed to be and designed to accomplish. Don't call this, don't blame this on Jesus Christ. Don't call this the Lord's Supper. I praise you not. And so unfortunately, people with sin in their lives, with, with being upset, division, all of that, that, that can pervert the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is a time and a place where many people who are bound together in one body as a church family come together and they celebrate their union, their communion, their, their fellowship together. One body, one bread, one cup, one church family serving God together. That's one way some people can come to the Lord's Supper. And it's not a good thing, but there's, a, there's something far better. Then that's the second way we can come to the Lord's table. We can approach the Lord's Supper in a second way. And the second way is we can come to the Lord's Supper to proclaim its meaning by our actions, by our heart, 
the way we approach the Lord's table, the frame of mind we're in, what we bring to the Lord's table in our experience and in our actions, we can, in the Lord's table, approach the Lord's table to proclaim its meaning. Now, why do I say proclaim its meaning? Let me jump ahead of myself just a little bit and get you to look at verse number uh, verse number 26. Verse number 26, the Bible says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do... What's the next word? S-H-E-W, not S-H-O-W. We're not showing the Lord's Supper. We're sh- or, or, or the Lord's... We're shooing. The Old English word shoe, we don't use so much anymore. But it means to proclaim. It means to preach. It means to announce. And so we, we can table in such a way that we are proclaiming its meaning by our participation in the Lord's table. We are showing, we are proclaiming, we are preaching the Lord's death. And we'll do that until he comes back the second time. It's an opportunity for us to make a declaration as, as a church body. It's also an opportunity for each of us as individual members to make a proclamation. A proclamation about the Lord's death and how it's impacted our lives. Let's think about this just a little bit deeper. In our text, chapter 11, and in verse number 23... Paul said, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Paul wasn't in that room. Paul wasn't saved when Jesus Christ met in the upper room with the twelve. Paul didn't get saved till later on. So he didn't have the opportunity to sit around a, a campfire in the evenings and listen to Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He didn't have the opportunity to, to spend enormous amounts of time with Jesus Christ the way the other apostles did. He called himself an apostle born out of due season. He was a Johnny-come-lately. He, he wasn't with Jesus from the baptism of John. He, was, he came along later. And so Paul said, I have received of the Lord. How did he receive that of the Lord? Well, the book of Galatians tells us that the Apostle Paul, after the Damascus Road experience, after he'd gotten saved, God took him out into the desert and he spent a significant period of time one-on-one with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ schooled Paul in the theology of the New Testament. And then God used him to record over half the New Testament. And so Jesus Christ had personally spent time with the Apostle Paul in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, schooling him, teaching him, training him in what we know today as New Testament church theology. From the New Testament church epistles, which are the letters that were written to New Testament churches, most of them having been started by the Apostle Paul. This being one of them. And so Paul says that Jesus taught me directly and personally what I'm going to share with you. Even though I wasn't there in the upper room, I didn't see it. I didn't experience it. But Jesus taught me all about it. And so now I'm sharing with you that that same night 
which Jesus was betrayed. And so Paul took our minds back to the upper room. It's in the evening. They had killed the Passover lamb earlier in the day and they had in the upper room, they had observed the Passover meal. The, the table still had uh, the food uh, parts that was used in a Passover meal. And Judas, Judas was on his way to tip off the Sanhedrin because he heard that when they left there, they were going to go out to Gethsemane where they would often go and pray. So Judas had already gone out to tip off the Sanhedrin. Maybe even Pontius Pilate had been tipped off that there's going to be a high profile case that's going to hit his desk first thing in the morning. Maybe the soldiers, the palace soldiers, the temple guards, maybe they've already got their stuff together and they're ready. As soon as Judas tips them off, they're, they're going to go and, and they're going to go wherever Judas tells them that Jesus is. They're going to show up there. And they're going to arrest him tonight. They're ready for their mock trial. They're ready to pronounce him a criminal. They're ready to turn him over to the Roman government and appeal to Rome to crucify this criminal. And there around the table, Jesus Christ is with his disciples. And in the aftermath of the Passover meal, Jesus Christ took a piece of bread. He blessed it. He broke it. I imagine that he, that he put a piece of it in the hand of the person that sat to his right. And the other half in the hand of the person that sat to his left. And then as it went around the table... And I'm not asking you to do this around the table. But as it went around the table, each person broke off a piece. Broke off a piece. Do you understand that the breaking of the body of Jesus Christ is a personal thing that you did? You didn't just pick up an already broken piece of bread off of a plate. You took the piece of bread that he said, this is my body, and you broke a piece off it. Because you personally, your sin, your rebellion, you are personally accountable for the breaking of the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took a cup. Our text calls it the cup of blessing. The Gospels talk about it as being the fruit of the vine, which would be the the juice that would come from the fruit of grape, of the vine, a grapevine. And Jesus blessed it. I imagine he took it and said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is given for you. The word testament means covenant. I am providing a way to enter into a covenant with you personally. I am providing a way for you directly, personally, and individually 
to enter into a covenant with your Creator. A salvation covenant whereby He pays the price, you get the benefit. He bears the pain, you get the glory. He suffers, you're comforted. A salvation covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. After he blessed it, drank it, he handed it, and it went around the table. Each person taking a drink out of the cup of fellowship as that body of men who the Bible tells us a little bit later in 1 Corinthians were the first members of the first church. Those first church members who took that cup and sipped from its contents, they were bound together as church members in a covenant, one with another, based on the covenant they had individually with God. They were in fellowship one with another as one body, one bread, one cup. They had communion. They had fellowship. Not like what they had been practicing as a church family. Where this person won't eat with that person. And this person won't share with that person. And this person won't talk to that person. Who perverts the communion of the Lord's table. But rather, a body of believers bound together as one body. Observing in union and communion and fellowship. Based upon an individual personal salvation that each of them personally, individually had with their creator because of his broken body and his shed blood. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here before we close. How do you come to the Lord's table and proclaim its meaning? Number one, the essence of the Lord's Supper is the person and passion of Jesus Christ. Oh, how that ought to dominate all of our hearts and minds, reverberate to the very depths of our souls. Whenever we come to the Lord's table and we take a little piece of bread that reminds us, not as graphically as if, as if I broke that piece off and ate it, But the meaning of taking that piece of bread and realizing I broke the body of Jesus Christ. And he offered it willingly in order to make a covenant with me whereby my sins could be forgiven and I could have eternal life. This is the essence of the Lord's Supper. It's the person and passion of Jesus Christ. Number two, it's its purpose is to provide a time of remembrance we're told in our text, Jesus Christ said in verse number 24, he said, when he had given thanks, he break it, said, take it. This is my body. This is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. The memory is an issue of the mind. But memory impacts emotion. My mother-in-law has been in heaven for a number of years. My father-in-law for a number of years. 
And when my wife talks about her dad and her mom, when she remembers, it is not detached from her emotions. Because the memory impacts the heart. The mind is connected to the heart of our feelings. Dr. Bob, how was Dr. Bob? Slipped out. Dr. Bob's wife's been gone for a number of years. Whenever I'm with Dr. Bob and he begins to talk about his wife, he chokes up. He chokes up. Why? Because the memory is not a sterile remembrance of a fact. Like I remember the answer to the test question. The memory is dramatically attached to the emotion when the subject of memory is someone very, very important to you. And when I remember what my sin did to Jesus Christ in viciously breaking his body into pieces and his blood being poured out, his life's blood being extracted from his body willingly from my sin. When I remember, it is not separated from my emotions. If you can partake of the Lord's table without any emotional involvement, I would question whether you are proclaiming or whether you are perverting the Lord's table in your church. You see, the, the, the purpose of the Lord's table is to make a proclamation. It's a proclamation. Jesus died for me. Jesus' blood was shed for me. Jesus' body was broken for me. And when I observe the Lord's Supper, I'm making a, I, our church as a family is making a proclamation that what ties us together as a church family is our common salvation. It's what creates the love between us. But it's not only a church proclamation, it's a personal proclamation which each of us make that I believe that Jesus died for me. And this, this amazing salvation accomplished in me what the choir sang a few moments ago. I'm changed. 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 By an amazing salvation. Whereby God has made me a brand new creation. Born again. Old things passed away. All things become new. I'm changed. And to observe the Lord's Supper is to make a proclamation that that's real in my experience. I'm not remembering a fact. I'm not remembering that 2,000 years ago, some guy over in, in uh, Israel and Jerusalem was nailed to a Roman cross. No, I'm not remembering facts. I'm reliving the reality of what he did to change my life and make me the person that I am now. And my memory is attached to my heart and my ability to know impacts my emotion.
It is meaningful to me. It's emotional to me. Jesus did this to save me. And the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to provide us a time to close our eyes and imagine we were there and think about what we're doing to Jesus Christ by our sin, what we've done to Him, what He was willing to endure because of our choices. To relive the emotion of how much He loves us. And then to feel the emotion of how much we love Him. And the gratitude we have for what He did for us. Its purpose is to provide a time of remembrance and what He did to change our lives. Number three, its observance is a sermon. We already looked at that, the word show. And then finally, number four, it's gravity is a motivation to prepare for it. The gravity of the Lord's table is a motivation to us to prepare for it. And that's what we find in the remaining verses of our text. We find that this Lord's table is so important that we dare not. We dare not, we dare not approach the Lord's table unworthily. What does it mean to come to the Lord's table unworthily? Well, the, un- the word unworthy simply means not of equal value. The word worth, the, the word picture is the old balance scale where you, you put something in one side and you put something in the other. And when they're balanced, what's in one side is worth what's in the other side. It's a, it was way back in, in a day of buying and selling. It was a, it was a, a technique of, of identifying the value of something in comparison to something else. To approach the Lord's table unworthily is to approach the Lord's table and watch God put the blood of Jesus on one side and put my life as I'm living it on the other side. And asking the question, is God getting his money's worth? The church in Corinth, that scale went like that, just bam! He said, you have perverted the Lord's table. But when we're living the changed life that Jesus Christ died to produce, then God gets the value from our lives that He intended to get from our lives when He sacrificed His Son to pay the price to win us back from our sin and rebellion. And so to come to the Lord's table ought to always, always require that we prepare for the Lord's table. And that's why in our text in verse number 28, the Bible says, but let a man examine himself. I noticed something that has always been kind of a little pet peeve maybe of mine. Verse number 28 does not say, 
because of the gravity of the Lord's table and because you, you may be unworthy. And, and if you are unworthy, God's going to deal with you. He talked about people who get sick, people that die uh, under judgment because they've perverted the Lord's table. The, the, concluding, the, the concluding statement is not, well, skip it. Don't, don't partake of the Lord's table this time. Do you know we're never given that option in the Bible? There's never an option to disobey. We wouldn't say, well, I'm just not going to get baptized. I'm just going to skip it. We would say, no, that's disobedience. I'm just going to skip the Lord's table. That's disobedience. You are commanded to observe the Lord's table. The solution is not to skip it. The solution is to get your heart right and observe it. Know what he said in that verse? But let a man examine himself and so let him eat and drink. So the option is not whether I'm going to take the Lord's table or not take the Lord's table. The option is whether I'm going to get my heart right or continue being unworthy. The gravity of the Lord's Supper requires that I prepare my heart, that I know I'm walking with Him. There's nothing between my soul and the Savior. I, I, I'm rightly related to my church family, and we're, we're together as one body, one bread, one cup, one people, united together by our common salvation. And together, we collectively come together and offer up our worship of Jesus Christ. You did for us. And we're in communion with our God as a church family because we're in union with our God as individual members of the church family. Oh, what an amazing, the gravity of the Lord's table requires that we prepare our hearts for the observance of the Lord's table and then participate in obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we're going to close in a word of prayer. And as our custom is on Sunday, on, on every other Sunday when we observe the Lord's Supper, every other month, I mean, every other month, that we observe the Lord's table, we observe the Lord's table on a Sunday morning. And, and on that Sunday morning, we dismiss the service as we normally do. And then after about five minutes, those who are going to observe the Lord's Supper reconvene to have the elements passed out. And, and ladies, we will have some sanitary bread, okay? We'll have our regular stuff out here by that time, okay? We will reconvene to pass out the elements of the Lord's table and to worship Jesus Christ in the observance of the Lord's Supper. And so, at this moment, maybe it would be a good time for us to examine ourselves. Just talk to God for a few moments. How rightly related are you with other people who are followers of Christ? Are we one body, one bread, one cup as a church family? Are our lives intertwined together in unity? Are we living a life that will 
bring glory to our Savior and honor Him for the price that He paid for us. 